Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares the story of a divine encounter arranged by God to advance the gospel. Philip ends up in a chariot with an Ethiopian sharing the message of Christ as he reads the scroll of Isaiah. That, that's, that, it's remarkable that he even got there, and we want to learn how that worked, and we want to figure out how we can make sure that we show up for God's divine appointments, because you can't read this without seeing that this is a divine appointment. Benjamin Franklin wisely remarked, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And it's true that without a plan, not much gets done. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares opens the Bible to the book of Acts chapter 8 to examine Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he'll use this story to reveal God's plan for us. So get ready to do your part. I'm your host, Dave Drewey. And now here's Pastor Mike with the start of a message called Showing Up for Divine Appointments. No regrets. No regrets. You've heard people say that, I'm sure. But I'm here to tell you, when they do say that, they're either lying <laughs> or they're not very attentive to their own lives because uh, all, of us, all of us have regrets, things we wish we would have done differently, things that we should have done and didn't do. I mean, we live with regret. And if anyone ever says, I have no regrets, and they mean it, they've just, they've just defined something about their worldview. It's a lot like someone shooting an arrow, and then wherever it lands, just going over and drawing a bullseye around it, and saying, hey, I did it. I meant to do that, right? That's, that's, that's it. They, are, they become a law unto themselves, and they basically say, my life as it was lived, I mean, I, that's success. That's what I determine success to be. The more sane among us would say, well, no, I know there's a standard that's outside of who I am, and I am not living up to it. I mean, most of us would recognize there is a God, and he has the right, and in fact, actually did draw a bullseye, and he says, here's what it looks like, here's how to live, he even sends his son to live among us, and I mean, he says, this is it, this is, Christ is the standard. He calls us to walk as he walked, to use that phrase, he lived like he lived, and and we know that if we're honest and attentive, we will look at our own lives and say we fall short. We, we don't measure up. And the good news is that we can repent of that and that in the grace of God and the payment of Christ, we can be forgiven. And that's fantastic. And then in our sanctification, as God's spirit invades our lives, our job then is to look at the bullseye more intently and to aim more carefully and have God help us hit the target more often. And of course, we all stumble in many ways, but the goal is to get, get up, get up, get up, keep hitting the target as best you can. Live in light of what Christ has told us and aim well, shoot well, do what God asks us to do. Now, the good news is that at the end of our lives, we want to not only recognize that there's no condemnation for us in Christ, we'd like to, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, get to the end of our lives and see that the opportunities and crossroads of our lives, we hit the target more often than not. That would be great that we have, as it's described there, have a lot of gold, silver, and precious stones that are going to be glorifying God, and he is going to generously reward us for those. We want to mitigate and minimize the wood, hay, and straw. We would like to uh, not have a lot for which we, as that passage says, suffer loss over. 
And I don't know if your theology is rightly including that, but you know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to stand before God and give an account of your life. And we call it in Christian theology the bema seat of Christ, that Greek word raised platform. Paul talks about the fact that we all stand before that raised platform of Christ and he will call us to give an account for our lives. So the goal is to uh, take the opportunities that are before us and make sure that we hit the target more often than not. Our job, of course, is to try and do the best we can to never miss out on what God would have us do in any given situation. And the good news is, as we study Acts chapter 8, we've got a great opportunity for us to have a text that if it's rightly impressed upon our hearts and we respond rightly to it, I can assure you, you will have less regret on the day of our Bema Seat judgment than you would if you slept through the sermon. So this is good. You listen and pay attention today, I can guarantee you this, you will miss less opportunities and you will be ready and able at those crossroads of your Christian life to say, I, I chose to do what I should do. As imperfectly as sometimes we carry that out to make the right decision in those circumstances. Now, this is not a sermon about you know, temptation and just your moral ethical issues of sanctification. It's about something very important and central to the Christian life. We've been studying it in Acts chapter 8 on what we call gospel advance. Very important in the book of Acts that we see that that principle of seeing the gospel go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that we recognize that in every generation, the church has to take that commission seriously. We've got to make disciples of all the nations. We've got to start in our own backyard, and we've got to make sure that we're doing all we can to make that gospel known in our generation. And so we see in this passage, and we've seen him throughout this text, Philip, the evangelist, as he's called later, which, by the way, that title does not in somehow, does not in some way relieve us of our responsibility. We're all to be evangelists. We're all to be sharing this message. But he was known for that, and for good reason, because in this text, we see him responding rightly to the call of God to actually do the hard thing, which is to step up and engage in a conversation with a non-Christian. It's a remarkable passage. It's so remarkable and it's filled with so much good information that I want to break it in half and deal just this week with what we see as God sets up the scenario. How Philip ends up in a chariot with an Ethiopian sharing the message of Christ as he reads the scroll of Isaiah. That, that's, that, it's remarkable that he even got there and we want to learn how that worked and we want to figure out how we can make sure that we show up for God's divine appointments because you can't read this without seeing that this is a divine appointment. God had prepped the soil. We need the sower to step in with the seed and together we see this thing bear fruit all throughout Africa, frankly, historically, as God takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Homer's Odyssey, he talked about Ethiopia being the end of the earth, right? This is, the, this is way down south in Africa. It was a reminder that God was going to fulfill his promise from Acts chapter 1. So take your Bibles and let's read this, let's study it, let's apply it, and make sure that we have more met opportunities than missed opportunities this week when it comes to our job to advance the gospel. We're going to look at verses 25 through 29, which gets us right to the cliffhanger as we then get into the conversation that Philip has with the Ethiopian. So let's start. Verse 25, follow along as I read it for you from the English Standard Version. And really, this scene starts in verse 26. If you're reading in an ESV, you'll see it's got a title there, paragraph heading over verse 26, and, and that is where we're going. But it's important for us, and I left verse 25 from last week so we can see the transitional nature of, of what's happening after this scene with Simon the magician, remember that? And, and Peter and John were dispatched from Jerusalem, the apostles, to kind of ratify, verify that this was actually happening. They're going to bring the news back to Jerusalem. But that 
pivotal verse, I think, helps us understand something about the culture and the mindset of the early, early church that really prepared Philip to be obedient to the call for this divine appointment. So let's read that. Verse 25, it says, Now when they, and, and though it may include more than this, it certainly included Peter and John, the apostles, had testified, right? they verified, they ratified this, this conversion of the Samaritans in the Samaritan city, and they spoke the word of the Lord there in that scene. They returned to Jerusalem. Now, as they were going, look at this, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Right? That was the whole thing, this pivot of the Samaritans getting saved. And then we had this weird detour with Simon the magician. And now they're on their way back and they're, just, they're stopping you know, for gas more than they need to so they can sit there and share in the villages of the Samaritans about the gospel. Now, focus back to Philip, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now Luke adds this line, this is a desert place, which is more than I think just a geographical notation of what that place was like on that road. It certainly reminds us that this is a place that Philip wouldn't just go hang out. If I said, what are you going to do this afternoon? He said, well, I'm just going to go out I-10 till it gets really, why? What for? This is a place that God is calling Philip to go that makes it, it, it doesn't make any sense. A deserted place, right? A desert place. But he went. God knew providentially. He had a, a divine appointment set up. Verse 27. So he, Philip, rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, right? It was, it's not just something describing his biology, something about his, uh, his status, his, his court official status of Candace, which is the Nubian word for queen, and it's repeated for us in Greek, the next word, the, the queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace, perhaps that's her name, but certainly her title, and it's translated here, queen of the Ethiopians, which is probably modern-day Sudan, the Nubian desert, but it's way south of Egypt, right down the Nile. And, and so she is a big wig, and this is a big wig because this eunuch, this official in the court of the Ethiopian you know, magistrate, the leaders, the queen, it says was in charge of all of her treasure. So think about that. That's an important official. The, minister of finance or the head of the, the, the Federal Reserve or, you know, the CEO of a giant company. This is a big and important role. Interesting, he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading, talk about God preparing the situation, the prophet Isaiah. Great opportunity, divine appointment, and Philip's got to show up for this. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. That's all. I'm going to draw a line right there. Let's just look at this particular passage and say, wow, look at God moving people around in this situation, a primed and prepped piece of the soil of God's church that's ready to receive the gospel, been prepared, and Philip's just got to get there. And, and God is going to call him to go there. Now, I know as you read verse 26 and verse 29, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, and verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, you're like, well, okay, I would show up for all my divine appointments if I just had the angel of the Lord showing up and telling me to go. Right? That's easy, right? of course. So, you know, I, I don't have as much respect for Philip as you're trying to present him as, well, he we ought to have because, of course, if God shows up and tells me to go somewhere, I'm going to go. Really? <laughs> I just want you to think about that. Think about, speaking of the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord showing up in the Midian desert burning bush, Moses saying, hey, I got a divine appointment for you. I need you to go talk to Pharaoh in Egypt. Hey, Moses, go. Do you remember what Moses said? Sunday school grads, what'd he say? Here it is. Send someone else. That's what Moses said. Send someone else. And the next verse, 
and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Okay, you want an audible voice from God? You want the angel of the Lord to show up? You know, there's a lot of situations where the will of God is very clear. And you think, if I just knew exactly what God wanted me to do, I would do it. Well, hats off to Philip, because even in volume one of Luke's two-volume history here in the Gospel of Luke, we meet in the very first chapter a man named Zacharias. He's a priest. Angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have this kid, and he's going to raise him. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He's going to be the one Malachi talked about. John the Baptist is going to be your kid, and so give him the name John, all of that. He gets the information, and so he's having an audible voice experience. And what does he do? Uh, I don't really believe you. I don't think that's going to happen. He doubts him. That's the word in the text, the English text, doubts. See, and so was God happy with him? Mm -mm. You know the story? He ends up making to where he can't speak for months. So God's not happy. God's not happy with Moses. God's not happy with Zechariah. And here's the thing. I'll bet there's a lot of regret. Did God get his will done? Sure he did. But I'll bet Moses looks back and said, I should have listened the first time. Zechariah goes back and certainly within minutes, he probably regretted that he didn't believe God and do what he said. And so we have to say, look at Philip. He is a good example. Whether or not you think he has the great advantage of having God speaking to him audibly through an angel or the spirit speaking to him, whether this was audible or not, the point is he's responsive. And so I want to get us to the end of this sermon saying, I'm going to step into my week making sure that I do what God tells me to do, what he asks me to do, given this very important task we have to advance the gospel in our generation. So, context, verse 25. When they, Peter and John, and whoever was with him on their little entourage with them, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. So Philip, you'll remember, we met in chapter 6. He's a deacon in the church. He's administrating things and serving the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic Jew himself. And we have his pastor, Peter. He's been arrested. We know all the realities of Philip's background, at least as it relates to his church. He's a part of a church that is sold out to advancing the gospel. They're being obedient to the command of the beginning of the book, Right, which is in verse 6, chapter 1, that they are supposed to be witnesses through the power of God's Spirit. They're supposed to go out and share the message, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, these are at the ends of the earth. He is in a group that is committed to the mission that he is about to be called in to advance again. We already met him in chapter 8, advancing that mission. But again, he's going to have this divine appointment. He's going to respond. But the underlying commitment of the church, if you will, that he's a part of, of the band that he's a part of, of his own life, we know this. He's resolved to share the gospel. So here's the deal. I know you're never going to really be inclined to show up to the divine appointments for you to open your mouth about Christ if you're not already, the precondition here, resolved in your life, this is my resolve, to share the gospel. Number one, take notes. Be resolved to share the gospel. Just starts with that. Now notice what it's not saying. It's not saying go out and share the gospel this week. It's saying, I just want you to start with this. Be resolved to share the gospel. Do you accept the reality that you are a spokesperson for God in this world? That you're holding out to use Paul's phrase here in Philippians, in a crooked and perverse generation, the, the word of life. You're holding fast to it, and I think the idea even of that text is holding it out to them, shining as bright lights in the darkness. Not just your behavior, but your words. And again, I know what some of you are saying, oh, here we go again, this series, man, I should have waited to start coming to this church till after the chapter eight, because you know, I always feel bad, it's about evangelism, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a public speaker, I don't know apologetics, I can't do this. Listen, it's not to be received as some drudgery, some duty. Right? Is it a duty? Sure it is. I'd like you to have the right proper perspective where this particular 
responsibility can feel a lot like what we've just been through, and that is singing and worshiping and being grateful that we have a relationship with the living God. So put a pin here in this passage and go with me, if you would, to Psalm 96, just to give you how these naturally should go together, that I love God, I'm thankful for my salvation. Now, I do have a duty this week, but I don't want to see it as some drudgery or some duty. I should see it as a natural outgrowth of what it is to be a Christian. Old Testament context. So I want you to see here that the people of God gathering together, just like us on a weekly basis to worship, Here's a statement that I think we quote all the time as it relates to the jubilant and joyful celebration of God's grace. We quote passages like this, Psalm 96. Look at verse number one. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Now, you gather together, you can't do that every day in the congregation of the redeemed, but you know you do that. They're excited about doing that. You engage in doing that. You schedule doing that. But then it says this, middle of verse two, tell of his salvation from week to week, Under, underline week to week. What, is that what it says? From what? Day to day, all the time. Share this message all the time, right? As a matter of fact, the opening line about worship is not just, hey, devout religious Jews, sing to the Lord a new song. No, all the earth. We're always looking through the prism of what we've just been singing about and what we've been worshiping God for and saying, more people need this. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Verse three, declare his glory, where? Everywhere. If you meet someone from Ethiopia, declare the glory of God among the nations. His marvelous works among all of the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. Do you think that's a statement that is used for religious, devout, committed Jews in the Old Testament? No, the point is there are people that have all kinds of gods. As you sit here and worship, and hopefully that's been a good experience for you to express your devotion and worship and praise to God, there's a lot of people walking their dogs on the green belt in front of your housing track. There's a lot of people out there reading the news feed at Starbucks, sipping on their favorite latte. A lot of stuff going on out there with no interest in giving praise or worship to God. They don't even see their need for Christ. And here's a passage saying, hey, we just had this great time of worship. You need to see that God is the God that should be feared above all priorities, all ambitions, all goals of everyone's lives. As a matter of fact, for all the gods, verse five of the peoples are worthless idols. What a wasted life. You gotta care about those wasted lives. The people that are investing in all those things they're investing in with no thought of the creator. It says the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And you encounter that. You, you ascribe to the Lord, verse seven, right? The, the, the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, not just us, everyone. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. Bring an offering and come to his courts and worship. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him. Hey, everyone should have this. Everyone should be. We should not be cloistering here and, and, and getting together in this little monastery of our Christianity and saying it's just for us. No, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Which, by the way, this is not like all oh, those antiquated people thought the earth was on these pillars, never be moved. Um, Psalm 102 says, we know the earth is wearing out. It's going to wear out. He's going to cast it off like a garment. This is not about the perpetuity or the constant nature of the earth. It's about his reigning over it. Every time you see that, the world cannot be moved, usually connected to the verb that he reigns over. It. He's in charge. No one's ever going to supplant his leadership. The world is under his, in the org chart, under his leadership forever. 
because of that, he's going to judge the peoples. He's going to be in charge of evaluating all their lives and calling them before him. So let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice, right? Because you can be right with this God. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples in faithfulness. Look at verse 13. He will judge the world. If, if you think about evangelism as, ah, oh man, I got to get out there telling people, turn or burn, man. Got to go to hell. He's coming back. Turn or burn. Is that true? Yes. If you don't repent, you are going to suffer the consequences of your sin. But you see, you get there motivated not by, yeah, I guess I got to tell people they're going to hell this week. Right? That, that's not the thought that drives me to it. It's like, God is great. Your gods are worthless idols when it's compared to the great God that I have a relationship with, that I went to church and worshiped this week, and you can have this relationship. God's coming back. You don't have forever to, to dally around about whether you're going to respond to this. He's a great, majestic God. He made the world his sovereignty over the world, you need to respond to him. Just passages like this should remind us what a privilege it is for us who know God to go into our lost world and say, you need to know him too. And you know, yeah, we have a sin problem and that's a terrible, difficult piece of hard news for us to swallow as non-Christians. And again, it's gonna be hard for you, it's hard for me, but you can get right with that, God. He sent his son to be the redeemer of your life. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and all of our iniquity was laid on him and, and you can be forgiven and accepted and part of the flock that he now will shepherd and carry the young in his arms. This is a great thing and you need to know about it. I want you to be committed and resolved to sharing the good news. That's what gospel means, the good news. And it says that's the, the group that he was a part of in verse 25. He was a part of a team that was all about that. I need you to be committed to a team your small group, your best friends, and the church that you're a part of, to be committed to, resolve to. And the primary thing as it relates to how we interface with our world is the message of Christ and Him crucified. You ought to be resolved. That ought to be the, the ultimate result. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. And this is part one of a message called Showing Up for Divine Appointments. Now, if you want to hear this entire uncut message, then simply go to our website, focalpointradio.org. Today, Pastor Mike made it clear that we need to be resolved to share the gospel. But if the thought of opening up a conversation about God feels a little intimidating, then you'll want to be prepared by getting a copy of a helpful Q&A resource titled How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life, written by evangelist Josh McDowell and author Thomas Williams. Like Philip, you can be ready to share your faith with your family, friends, co-workers, or even the people you meet while you're moving throughout your day. We'll gladly send you a copy of How to Know God Exists when you donate to Focal Point this month. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch who is trying to understand the scriptures, many people have questions about God in the Bible, and you can be prepared with an answer. So, to increase your understanding and elevate your confidence as you engage in these conversations, please request a copy of How to Know God Exists when you make a generous donation to support this program at focalpointradio.org or by calling us at 888-320-5885. That's 888 888- Three two zero fifty eight eighty five, or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box twenty eight fifty, Laguna Hills, California nine two six five four. And right now is a great time to step up and join our team by becoming a Focal Point partner. 
Now, this select group of supporters pledge a monthly gift to support the teaching here on Focal Point, and we rely on their generosity and stability to expand the reach of God's Word. Won't you step up and join us this year? It's easy to set up your monthly gift of any amount and become a Focal Point partner today when you call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or you can get started online at focalpointradio.org. And thanks for partnering with us. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us tomorrow to hear Pastor Mike Fabares present part two of this important message titled, Showing Up for Divine Appointments. That's coming up Tuesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear, but we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.